Welcome to Cyber Focus from the McCrary Institute, where we explore the people and ideas shaping and defending our digital world. I'm your host, Frank Salufo, and very excited to sit down with Maggie Miller today. Maggie Miller is Politico's go-to cyber reporter, uh, and like the cyber threat, you blink and you'll miss her uh, latest article. So really thrilled to sit down with Maggie. Maggie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. It's great to have you, and, and you've done some phenomenal reporting, and uh, thank you for that. And before we jump into the to the hard news, I, I'd, I'd love to I sort of ask everyone their why. I, I think their why is important, that North Star shining uh, is important. What initially sparked your interest in cybersecurity, and, and when did you actually realize cyber matters? Well, you know, I like to think my involvement in cyber reporting was a happy accident because uh, I actually studied journalism in undergrad, a proud American University graduate here in Washington. And, you know, I'd done some internships, but when I graduated, I just needed a job. (laughs) And I was sending out lots of applications. And thankfully, the group that decided to take a chance on me was a trade publication called Inside Cybersecurity, which is part of a larger network of trade publications. And Charlie Mitchell specifically, a little bit of a shout out to him, took a chance and was very focused on regulatory issues with cyber. And it kind of felt like drinking out of a fire hose for Mm -hmm. a little while. But I very quickly realized, I would say within the first week or two, it felt like this hidden subject. And now this was close to a decade ago at this point. But I mean, it really felt like this subject that the public didn't know enough about. I felt like I was discovering this whole hidden world in some ways. And I would say, yes, within the first week or two of covering it, I mean, I was concerned about the threats to our networks. I was concerned about the potential that adversaries could use some of these vulnerabilities against us. And it felt like such an easy way to sort of hobble the United States or just individual companies as well. The interest was there pretty quickly, even Mm -hmm. though I did not have a background in cybersecurity. I didn't have a background in tech. You know, I like to say that it's funny. I don't know how to fix computers, for example. (laughs) I tell people to turn them off and on. Nor do I. Yeah. so. (laughs) So I certainly didn't have a background, but it became a very key topic of interest for me very quickly. And It was interesting to watch the years go by as it became more and more of Mm -hmm. a public issue. I mean, I really think the big year for the public, certainly not for me, but it was 2021 when we saw Colonial Pipeline. And that really, I feel like, I mean, I was getting calls from family and friends who have nothing to do with this space, Mm -hmm. nothing to do with Washington, all of a sudden extremely interested in my job and what this means for us. And, you know, it it really got illustrated to them. And of course, we've seen in these geopolitical threats since it's only gotten worse. So very fascinated by this subject personally, very important. But as I said, happy accident I'm here. Awesome. And and, and I think Colonial Pipeline was that eye opener, that aha moment that people realized, hey, this isn't some esoteric threat. This this actually can affect uh, all of us and quite honestly does. And now, so you went from Inside Cyber, and Charlie's great, so uh, thank you for the shout-out there, to The Hill, Mm -hmm. and now to Politico, where you're really reporting at the intersection of cyber and geopolitics, because it's really difficult to bifurcate cyber from world events and vice versa. So I'd be curious, one of of your recent articles that uh, I I thought was uh, very enlightening was on 
sort of how the Pentagon and how the Department of Defense is retooling some of their operations. Can you shed a little more light on that? And uh, please. Absolutely. Yeah. So the Department of Defense a couple months ago put out a new far-reaching cybersecurity strategy, and actually quite a bit of it is still classified. But it was really exciting because they came to me and my colleague, Laura Seligman, who's our main Pentagon correspondent, about, oh gosh, seven or eight months ago at this point, and said, you know, we're putting out this new strategy. We want to give you kind of a heads up on it. We want to give you some great interviews. We were able to sit down uh, with General Nakasone, our now former director. Phenomenal um, leader. Yes, of yep. U.S. Cyber Command and the NSA and various other leaders at DOD. And really the thing that came across that they really wanted to push was how much these last few years of attacks, I mean, we mentioned Colonial mm -hmm. Pipeline, but also just this huge amount of ransomware attacks really is highlighted to them the need to be more open with the private sector. The Department of Defense, it's like much of the federal government, but I would say very much Pentagon related. It's, it's hard to sort of open up and, and go outside that very uh, high stone wall, so to say. And that's kind of the focus of this new strategy is to really start briefing in some of these key private sector companies involved in the defense industrial base on what they're seeing. Because as I think every official in government keeps saying, private sector has far more insight into threats on our networks than the federal government or any government because they own most of the network. Absolutely. So I think that's a big focus. And then another big focus of it is really trying to expand out work with allies and partners, mm -hmm. especially with the U.S. Cyber Command. So I know we spoke with General Nakasone quite a bit about uh, the Hunt Forward programs that mm -hmm. Cyber Command has done in recent years, most notably in Ukraine a couple of different uh, times prior to uh, the invasion of, uh, by Russia, the full invasion, I should say, in 2022. Um, and not only in Ukraine, but in places like Albania and Estonia and various other allies to try to allow U.S. cyber experts in U.S. Mm -hmm. Cyber Command to hunt through networks of allies, find those vulnerabilities, and obviously not only help our allies, but bring those lessons back here and inform it to be able to defend our own networks because Russia is certainly not uh, options that might be trying to go after those those countries' networks. So yeah, a very exciting time for the Pentagon. And I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up. And we're going to have mm -hmm. future guests go in deep on defend forward, persistent engagement, and what those implications are for the homeland. This isn't just something happening over there. It's a preview of a movie coming to a theater near you, and and we really do need to 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 get a better grasp of the tactics, techniques, procedures, as well as the strategic intent behind some of these attacks. Really glad you pointed on that, and then you also brought up Colonial Pipeline again, as we discussed earlier. But all things said and done, historically, the Department of Defense looked at the defense industrial base. I think Colonial Pipeline opened a lot of people's eyes to the dependency upon more civilian infrastructure that could impact the ability to deploy forces uh, and to move troops, logistics, uh, and the like. So uh, I, I think that was an eye-opener, and, uh, and thank you for that. One story that I think hasn't gotten a lot of attention probably deserves more attention are, was the hack of employees' emails at State Department and Big Yellow Taxi and some of its clever techniques that did 
help pull the thread and ultimately get to some muddy footprints to go back to the perpetrators. Yeah, Anything you want to share on that, Maggie? Yeah, absolutely. That was another really exciting uh, story that came out a couple months ago and basically evolved after the news emerged in, I believe it was June, that Chinese-linked hackers had infiltrated the email accounts of top officials at the U.S. State and Commerce Departments, which ended up including the email of Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo and our U.S. Ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns. So some very top-level folks. And in the wake of that, actually, my colleague John Sacolariardis, again, giving a shout out to some Mm -hmm. of the great people I work with, we were able to go visit some of the operations centers that the State Department has in the D.C. area. I won't go a little further Mm -hmm. than that. Mm -hmm. And talk to some of the top officials who were involved in trying to respond to this threat. And what was really fascinating is that it turns out that the State Department Although they were impacted by this, it could have been so much worse Mm -hmm. because they did have an analyst who unfortunately had to remain unnamed, but they had an analyst who had spotted a potential vulnerability in sort of the Microsoft systems being used two years before that this happened and had built in what they described as a tripwire in case it was ever exploited by China or any other adversary. Exactly. And so when it was exploited, they were able to very quickly respond and really get them out of their systems, that the hackers, I should say. And as the State Department said, while the breach was ongoing for some other agencies longer, one of the top officials I spoke to said it started in June and ended in June for the State Department. So I just thought it was an interesting highlight of ways that the federal government, while it has been hit multiple times with Mm -hmm. some major breaches in the past decade, clearly they're starting to learn some lessons. And um, one of my favorite moments, as you mentioned, is they noted that the tripwire alert was nicknamed Big Yellow Taxi, Mm -hmm. um, which we just thought was funny given the context of the song. It's apparently one of the favorite songs of the analyst, certainly one I like to listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was a fun story and kind of a fun, in some ways, good news, silver lining. Yeah, there are not many of those. No, there's not. And again, a major compromise took place. You know, the the Commerce Secretary's email being hacked is not ideal, but uh, at the State Department, it certainly could have been worse. And State Department innovation are not always in the same sentence, so it's good to see that was was the case. any other aid, other agencies learn some of those lessons as far as you know? You know, we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but some of those type of lessons learned between the different agencies is not something we're able to get into. However, again, it's a good example of a way that we're learning lessons here because the geopolitical threats and the threats from cyber criminals are only getting worse. And as I've been in this space for most of the past decade, I've seen an explosion. So I guess just as a a civilian in the United States, it's good to see that we're improving. You've also done some uh, really good reporting on the role that the government of Iran uh, and and some of the stories in terms of the water systems that have been penetrated in the United States. What what do we need to, to know there? And again, another geopolitical threat that you're seeing. I mean, there's never not a cyber angle to some of these geopolitical conflicts. So obviously, after the October 7th attacks by Hamas on Israel and Israel's response by going into the Gaza Strip, Iran has very much waded into this space in cyber. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of experts have seen is that it seems like, at least in cyber, Iran was taken quite a bit off guard by the October 7th attacks. They didn't really fully mobilize until a week or two after the attacks, at least in terms of their full capabilities. But immediately I was looking at, all right, because the U.S. is supporting Israel here, what are we going to see in the U.S.? What mm-hmm. is Israel going to see mm-hmm. from Iran? Because 
So we already mentioned Iran is one of the big four players in cyberspace. Well, big five, if you want to talk about the U.S. being involved. (laughs) And of course, we did see that late last year. There were several different U.S. water utilities, starting with one near Pittsburgh, that saw Israeli-made equipment in their systems targeted by Iranian-linked hackers to kind of disable and deface some of that. And Mm -hmm. it was very much, I mean, some of the messages was very clearly tied to U.S. support uh, for Israel and Israel's involvement in the Gaza Strip. And so, as I said, there's always a cyber angle to some of these geopolitical conflicts. And we've seen in the last week both Google's Mandiant and Microsoft come out with further reports on the ongoing cyber threats from Iran and how it's really just continuing to ramp up as this crisis goes on. While obviously this has highlighted the uh, vulnerability of U.S. water utilities, which I think officials in the White House and beyond have long heralded as one of the more vulnerable sectors in the U.S., Mm -hmm. it certainly shows that geopolitics has an impact on our nation's cybersecurity. And I hate to say it, but again, stay tuned there. And Iran is not a new actor in cyber. There have been indictments of Iranian officials and civilians targeting U.S. dams in the past. They've clearly targeted Israeli water utilities for a number of years and are probably refining their tactics and techniques in that respect. But what makes it In addition to IRGC's role, there are a number of proxies that sometimes difficult to discern who's in charge, whether it's Lebanese Hezbollah or whether it's Hamas, as we saw in in their horrific attacks on Israel. It, It gets a little complicated when you look at Iran because there are a number of sympathizers as well. Anything you're seeing there? I I do think Lebanese Hezbollah will change. That's a pretty sophisticated actor if they jump into not only physically, but also from a cyber perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely don't underestimate them. I think that's been reflected in some of these reports that it's Mm -hmm. not just the Iranian government, it's proxies. It's Mm -hmm. those that might not be with the government, but have sympathies for Iran and for those in Gaza. I like to say that, and I'm not the only one, cyber is an incredibly low budget way to have a major impact. And you can see a lot of actors in that space. And I mean, again, this conflict in Gaza, in Israel, in Lebanon, it's not unfortunately, slowing down. I think we're just going to see more and more involvement, unfortunately, of cyber attacks in there. And also from the other side, Israel is one of the most advanced countries in cyberspace in the world. I'm sure there's a lot going on that we haven't seen publicly that they're also pursuing. Roger that. And I just not to add more, but underscore insider threat. And that, I think, becomes an issue that I know the Europeans have paid some close attention for real reason, but something we need to keep our eyes on as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. And you recently had a, a story that looked at the use of AI in, in cyber attacks. And part of me says, of course, that, that that's coming. But the other part of me says, you know what? There actually is empirically based evidence. We have a lot of kudas and a lot of things that anecdotally we can point to. But here you had a report come out from Microsoft. Anything you want to share on that? I thought that was I think that is a story you're going to be writing again and again and again. But I'd be curious what what was key for you out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Microsoft is one of those companies, along with a handful of others, puts out periodic threat reports. And when I saw that uh, come into my inbox ahead of time, 
immediately thought, all right, this is interesting because mm -hmm. I think AI has been this buzz term the mm -hmm. past year, especially. You can't go to any cyber event, cyber conference, mm -hmm. cyber hearing on the Hill without AI coming up. And honestly, for good reason. And seeing, OK, this is in black and white. Microsoft is saying that they are connecting use by government affiliated threat actors in North Korea, China, Russia, and Iran, like to say the big mm -hmm. four, mm -hmm. to using AI to enhance their cyber attack capabilities, or at least data ex exfiltration capabilities, their phishing attack capabilities, as many had been concerned about, given that phishing could be enhanced by better translation or better understanding of who you're targeting. And so seeing that in black and white, it did feel to me, all right, this is what everyone's been warning about. For example, Nakasone, General Nakasone warned about it. As CISA director Jen Easterly has said, it's basically one of her, her nightmares, how it could be used in cyber attacks. And seeing it in black and white that, all right, it's being used. OK. It's a big um, deal. It's a big deal. I'm sure, I'm certain, I'll continue to write about it. And it's one of those issues that I do feel like permeates everything, not just the cyberspace these days, but every sector. And, and kind of like the cyber field, mm -hmm. it, it intersects with other sets of issues. And it's a bit of a cat and mouse. There's a red and blue component here. The good guys can utilize a AI in many ways. And we hope to have Rob Joyce on soon. And I know he's been pretty outspoken on how the National Security Agency, others can better utilize AI and machine learning and other techniques to defend. Mm -hmm. I hope that there's a, another story like your big yellow taxi uh, yeah, on the good guy side there uh, as well. Well, I would love that. And Rob, if you're listening, if there's anything you have to share, <laughs> we'd love to report it. Yeah. Well, great. Rob's great. Yeah. You also did some very good reporting, as have others on Volt Typhoon, but you also look more specifically at Guam and and obviously, Guam would be a trigger for lots of reasons, most notably, arguably, its proximity to, to Asia and regions that we're concerned about and maybe indicative of indicators that the Communist Party of China may move into Taiwan. But I'd be curious what you, rather than me trying to lead the witness here, what, was, uh, what were your big takeaways in terms of some of your reporting there? Yeah. So the interest in Guam was really spiked last May when both the U.S. government and Microsoft put out alerts saying we're seeing Volt Typhoon, which is a major, been described by cyber experts as an A-team hacking group linked to China, was hitting U.S. critical infrastructure, but specifically infrastructure on the island of Guam, which mm -hmm. is an island with just over 100,000 people. It's on the other side of the world. It's one of the earliest starts to the day. Um, for the U.S., and it is indeed the closest territory to China and to Taiwan. And a huge percentage of the nation's uh, population are U.S. military and their families. And they're there because it's a great military staging spot in the Pacific. And I immediately, I was like, oh, Guam, okay. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that I followed up on looking at how Guam was preparing uh, for any sort of further cyber attacks from China. I was able to speak to their delegate uh, to the House a couple weeks ago, uh, Delegate James Moylan, and he said those, are, those attacks are ongoing by China on our critical infrastructure, critical networks that would make it uh, very difficult if those went down to immediately deploy troops to ensure that communications are ongoing with mm -hmm. the mainland, to ensure that communications are ongoing to 
just mobilize in the case of, for example, a Chinese attack on Taiwan that we're responding to. And Guam, it's a tiny island, as I said, on the other side of the world, and yet it is it could be so critical to the U.S. defense in the Pacific. And it's certainly no accident, I think, that Chinese government-affiliated hackers are kind of sitting in networks there or at least trying to breach them in, in mm-hmm. the case of a mm-hmm. conflict because it's very strategic. Both from a physical and from a cyber perspective. Exactly. It, in essence, it is the tripwire. Yes. Uh, for a whole lot. Uh, so uh, rather than you report regularly, and I, I always ask our guests what questions I should have asked that I didn't, but I also want to ask you, what articles haven't you written that you should and that <laughs> you hope to? That I haven't written, and we were discussing this before mm-hmm. actually we started recording. Space is that area that I think needs to be more reported on in terms of cyber threats. Really anything that has any type of link, I would say, to the Internet in the world could have a cyber angle to it. But space is becoming ever more critical in terms of threats that could occur to our satellites, etc. So I think there's a lot more reporting to be done there. And, and I think also, again, not to keep bringing it up, but China, there's a lot more stories. China, 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 China. Space. And yeah. space, they're not mutually exclusive they're there either. Certainly so, not. Certainly exactly. Not there could be one on China and space. Who knows? Absolutely. So, yeah, I think both those areas. And, yeah, I think stay tuned. You've, and I say this not lightly, but mm-hmm. being able to articulate complex issues, but in a way that a reader can understand, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but not everyone's going to be in code and and looking at zeros and ones. Space is very similar in that respect. It is its own domain, but it transcends air, land, sea, cyber. Mm -hmm. Cyber is its own domain, but it transcends air, land, sea, space. And getting the language right there is so important. So I do hope you take up the mantle and do some reporting there, because not only is it really important, but it's important we get it right. And and you've gotten it right. So oh, thanks. Uh, that's 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 a positive. So I do hope that is and I've got to foot stop my one policy issue. I normally don't get into advocacy, but <laughs> we need to designate space as a critical infrastructure sector. Shame on us that we have 17 and it's not there. And mm-hmm. I'm going to also make my case for the cloud. But that's that's a longer conversation. So in addition to what stories you hope to be reporting on, what questions in all sincerity, what stories didn't we touch on that you think deserve a little more attention? I think, again, not to continue to bring Mm -hmm. up China, but I think you can't talk about the cyberspace in Washington in the last, I would say, the beginning of 2024 without talking about threats from China. Mm -hmm. I, I attended, of course, the hearing that the House Select Committee on China held in January where they had General Nakasone, Sista Director Easterly, FBI Director Ray, and uh, White House National Cyber Director Coker. They were all really vocal on specific details of threats that China poses to our networks to the point where I've covered, I've lost count of how many congressional mm-hmm. hearings I've been at in the past few years. And this one was one that I genuinely... This was an eye-opener. This was an eye-opener. Everyone should oh, must-see yeah. TV and, more importantly, must-see yeah. response. Must-see so. response, yes. And coupled yep. with, on the same day, the Department of Justice announced a big operation to disrupt Volt Typhoon, which is, of course, the same Chinese mm-hmm. hacking group we were discussing earlier, that they had been in hundreds of U.S. routers and networks. And then you have these top, top, I like to say the dream team of cyber officials on Capitol Hill 
talking about this threat and really detailing specific networks they're in. Mm -hmm. And then just this week, I had a a small story out. Dragos, which is one of the top operational technology cyber groups in the world, they put out a report on Volt Typhoon and said just in January that they'd seen evidence that they were in the networks of a large U.S. city's emergency services network. I mean, they're continuing, even though the U.S. government's being very vocal about this. It does seem they are Prepositioning is the word that keeps being used, exactly. is that you're not necessarily going to see any execution of attacks anytime soon, at least as long as we're not in any outright war with China. But if we ever If you're are, in the system, you're in the system. You're in the and system, you're in the system. Intent, right? Yeah. But so I think that there is, it's just been very interesting to me to see how far out the U.S. government has gone, because as I said, there's a lot that goes into anything said publicly. And it was truly surprising to me just how much detail they went into. Yeah, so. I second that. That was a very powerful hearing. And I think it, it also in part due to the leadership of Mike Gallagher, who's who's really moved the ball on that issue now in a nonpartisan way. Yeah, it's <laughs> unfortunate, both on the Armed Services and, uh, and the CCP committee. But Maggie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your stellar reporting. I hope that you continue to report, and I really do hope you get to the nexus between space and cyber. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Any final words? I just want to say, as I go into all of these extremely scary topics, as I said, I have friends who are not in this space that say I give them nightmares. I want to say that even though the U.S. government is not very public about what these capabilities are, the U.S. is not a sitting duck in this space. We are a very powerful country in cyberspace. And I, even though I don't know all the details of this, I can guarantee you that up at Fort Meade where the NSA and Cyber Command are, they're doing a lot of work to keep this country safe. There's a lot of threats against us, but I think we have a lot of defense as well. Thank you for those sobering, but also enlightening kinds of words, because you're right. I think the initiative remains to an intent to a certain perspective with the attacker, but that is slowly changing. So Maggie, thank you. Thank you for joining us today and keep doing great work. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.